you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is sponsored by Filecoin Foundation. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash. I'm Adam B. Levine, your Zach Seward for the day, and I'm joined by Jen Sinassi mm-hmm. and Danny Nelson, Coindesk's Managing Editor for Data and Tokens. Jen, it looks like we're talking about Gary Gensler again. We are talking about Gary Gensler again. The SEC is considering reopening a proposal from last year that would target DeFi platforms as exchanges that need to be regulated. So you'll remember in January 2022, the agency proposed expanding the definition of exchange to capture a broader swath of trading activity in the U.S. The industry responded to the agency again last year when this was first proposed, calling the initial proposal an overreaching power grab with not enough clarity. Surprise, surprise. We keep hearing that same description in response to almost everything the SEC does, but no real response from the agency. Uh, Danny, I'm going to kick this one off to you first. What do you think of the SEC's move to reopen this proposal? Well, it's really not surprising. And you're already seeing some in the DeFi and and decentralized exchange world taking active measures to avoid what they think is the inevitable outcome here, which is to say that the SEC brings the hammer down on DEXs uh, in Solana land, which we'll talk about more in depth a little later. One DEX called Orca has actually pulled out from the U.S. market because probably regulatory concerns. And that's just a proactive step in advance of what, what is really likely to happen here, which is that the SEC will propose and push forward rules that will expand the definition of exchange in such a way that it will cover or purport to cover decentralized exchanges, these entities that aren't supposed to be coverable, according to them, of course. I think that what we're looking at here is kind of a stomp the gecko moment which is that it's sort of like, a, so that, that's a term from uh, my old friend Andreas Antonopoulos, uh, which basically says that to the extent that you take something that's relatively harmless and easy to understand, and you make it impossible to be that thing, then you necessitate an evolutionary process that results in something that isn't vulnerable to that particular type of pressure before. I appreciate that's a long, a, a lot of stuff to say. But basically what it means is that if you go after sort of the companies as they exist today, then all you're going to do is push the evolutionary track towards companies that can't be gone after in this way, largely because they won't be companies, right? 
DeFi has sort of leaned on the idea and leaned on many tools that have come from the world of decentralization. But a lot of the projects that are out there really are companies that have a DeFi product where they're operating, but it is a company. And so in that way, it does make sense for the SEC to have some jurisdiction here. But the broader concept is about DeFi. And it's also worth noting that, uh, that in this sort of update, they don't intend to actually define what DeFi is. They intend to keep that ambiguous. And that ambiguity really helps them to extend their power as kind of much as possible. So more to say on this, but what, where are you kind of on this, Jen? Yeah, all this ambiguity just makes me feel deflated when I read these stories about the SEC, if I'm being honest. There was a quote from uh, Gary Gensler in the article. It said, calling yourself a DeFi platform is not an excuse to defy the securities law. It pointed to um, some industry comments that said the proposal would improperly apply regulations designed for intermediating exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange to software and software developers. And I think that's a really important piece here, right? When we're talking about software and software developers, there is a real differentiation to be made between this, the technology, and what's happening at exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange. And the more that the SEC is blind to this, and I paused before I said blind because I don't think they're blind. I think they're being very thoughtful about what they're doing, Adam, just like you were saying, because... You know, in the future, I think they're keeping the doors open for what could happen in the future. And it's really sad. It makes me think back to Hester Purse's sandbox proposal. You know, she really said, we need to give DeFi companies the space to actually decentralize. These companies are companies with ideas and products, but if we're not able to give them the space to decentralize and achieve these goals, we're just going to end up in the same place we are, not solving any of these real world issues that we're trying to solve. And that's kind of where I am. I think I saw your hand go up, Adam. While these may deflate you, they honestly fire me up. These are kind of the types of moves that we see out of regulators that really don't have a better option. It's a sign of weakness to not go after creating real rules that clearly define and delineate what is and isn't okay, and that would apply to the types of technologies that we're talking about here. So the fact that they're not doing that, and the fact that they haven't been doing that for going on 10 years, add to that the fact, of course, that the uh, CFTC, the Commodities Future Trading Commission, another regulator that deals with commodities rather than securities, basically has a a perspective that is 100% conflicting with the securities regulator. They both claim that most of the assets that exist within the world of crypto are, depending on who you ask, commodities or securities. And they can't both be true. And there's no move in Congress. There's no move at the legislative level. There's no move really anywhere to correct that conflict between two regulatory agencies that should matter a lot. But it doesn't matter because the point isn't to solve this problem. The point is to create problems, to create uncertainty and to make it dangerous for good actors to exist in these spaces, which then makes room for bad actors to come in and do what they're comfortable with, which is operating in spaces where the rules aren't defined because they don't care about the rules anyways. Danny, any thoughts? Yeah, and I, what I'm really thinking about here is how the SEC will inevitably attempt to enforce these types of rules. I imagine that the SEC will start with the easiest targets, which is to say the companies that are companies. Not to say Uniswap's doing anything wrong here, but the Uniswap Labs, instead of the person who wrote the smart contract that you trade tokens through Uniswap on. Now, they'll start with the Uniswap Labs of the world. Again, I'm not just using that as a, a point of reference. Ultimately, the power in crypto comes from the smart contracts, those things that are said to be written by anyone and can be deployed by anyone. So I'm curious to see how far the SEC is willing to go to actually regulate the source of DeFi protocols and decentralized exchanges, because unless they're really willing to go after the 
the writers of smart contracts, it's not going to be possible to stop people from doing anything other than just making it harder to get to an easy to use user interface. Yeah, I think that there's a a story after the break that we'll talk about where I suspect we will return to many parts of this conversation. But for now, let's move on. Next up, more than a decade ago at the start of the modern era of monetary madness and the cryptocurrency alternative that sprung up alongside it, we were assured by the likes of former Fed chief Ben Bernanke that the extraordinary measures needed to be taken by central banks at the time we were told were temporary, would be unwound and would not be repeated. Even though balance sheets needed to be expanded, these central bankers told us they would return to zero. In hindsight, that is not true. New data releases from the biggest central banks out there show that the latest round of acting like it'll all go back to normal is now over. And as liquidity problems slowly simmer across the global financial system, we're at another moment where a number go up is likely. Except I'm talking about the trouble that central banks are in, and not necessarily just the price of Bitcoin, although that's definitely in play. Danny, I think at this point, it would actually be hard for me to be more cynical about what the people in charge of modern money say and do. Am I being too tough? Well, you know, I don't know who to blame here. Do you blame the central bankers or do you blame the investors who are hanging on to their every word, right? Maybe both, probably both. But let's start with the central bankers. bankers. Well, the central bankers are the ones who said, all right, well, there's a crisis. We're back in 2008 now. There's a crisis. We got to do something. We got to prop up the system or the system will fail. The solution was things like quantitative easing, putting a whole lot on the balance sheet in order to buy assets that no one else was willing to buy so that things wouldn't completely fall apart. And it worked. The problem is the investors of the world, Wall Street and all the banks, got so eager to drink that sugar water that they weren't willing to to agree to the central bank ever stopping those types of things. And that's what that's really what we've come to in this situation, this weird situation where investors get so antsy every time central banks try to take their foot off the gas pedal that markets start to titter and things threaten to fall apart. I don't know what the solution is to a problem to a solution to a problem that is entirely the central banker's own making. Adam, you've made me just question my whole existence when I read the stories that you bring to this show. I read this and I was like, does this mean anything actually, right? So when quantitative tightening happening, that's like when we saw the destabilization of risk assets. And now we see, especially if we bring this back to the crypto markets, we see these assets rising in price, probably not related to this at all. There are so many other things that are happening. How do you look at this information and actually derive something that means something. Yeah. So I think there's an interesting kind of question about how do you play a game, right? The way you play a game is you understand the rules of the game and then you follow the rules of the game. And if there's somebody in charge of keeping track of the rules of the game, then they also are responsible for making sure everyone is following the rules. The challenge here is that when you're talking about like traders and being like, well, traders are asking for this. Traders are asking for this because it's what they've been trained to need because they don't know how to operate any other way. You can think about this like you break your leg and you get a cast. And if you take the cast off after a couple of months when your leg is healed, then that was a really good choice because now your leg is healed. But if you leave the cast on for three years, then your leg isn't healed. Your leg has atrophied because you've effectively like trained your body not to use your leg in that way. And that is effectively what we've done to markets today is we have, again, markets broke their leg and then we put on a cast and that cast was effectively having the referees come in and start being buyers in the economy. Because Danny, what you said there is quantitative easing, you're saying that they're buying stuff that nobody else wants to buy. That basically means you're propping up an asset bubble. (laughs) That means you're keeping prices artificially high because the participants in the system have made bad choices based on the incentives that you set up 
that now they can't survive anything else. And that's the trap that we're in right now. That's why central banks can't go back to this stuff. Another thing that you mentioned, Jen, is that like the perspective on these stories is really different when I present them versus when other people present them. And it is, it's very, very different. It's because I tend to, to throw away the extra complicated language that is intended to obscure the, what is actually on its face, just bad policy and bad decisions that have been made over and over again. Uh, and I just say it like it is, which isn't a happy thing to do, but is a kind of better reflection of reality than I've been able to find kind of most other places. So uh, I don't recommend my way of doing this. But it is helpful in understanding at least what's happening most of the time. Danny? So Adam, say, say it like it is for us. Is there a way out of this situation? There is actually, oh, yeah. Um, the way out of the situation is for, I mean, there's no happy way out of the situation. There are basically two paths out. Uh, one path is a continue kicking down the road, which is what is very likely to happen. And that eventually involve, uh, that eventually resolves into various types of currency collapses. Because effectively, you keep the stability of the system at the cost of debasing the currency uh, in such a way that you eventually cause, it, cause people to lose confidence in it. That's pretty much typical of what would happen. There is another path, which is that you acknowledge that, these, that the system is like this and you attempt to do a reboot. And that reboot could be done in one of a variety of ways. One of those ways is using a Bitcoin or a gold-backed system, which would then prevent the type of excesses that we've seen here. But it's exceptionally unlikely that that will happen because that involves effectively the people who have power over money today giving up all of that power and saying, well, you know what, actually, you're right. We did do a bad job and we're not going to be in charge anymore. And I think the chances of that happening, I, I would put it almost nothing based on the way the world is going today. So it means that the less happy path is the one we're likely to get. And that is exactly what this story that we're talking about here today, um, you know, that's what, it, that's what it shows is we're on the path for. So hooray. Hey, this is Jensen Nancy from The Hash. Are you heading to Consensus? Because I am along with the rest of The Hash crew. If you're there, you have to connect with the Filecoin community ahead of Coindesk's big event at the Filecoin network base from April 24th through April 26th in downtown Austin. Join Filecoin ecosystem contributors for lightning talks on Web3, gaming, developer workshops, and the latest updates on the Filecoin virtual machine. Spanning three floors packed with programming and networking opportunities, the network base hosted by Filecoin Foundation is your go-to spot for cross-chain collaboration and connection in Austin. Register today at networkbase.io forward slash Austin. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. Pew Research Center published its April survey and found that 75% of Americans are not confident that the current ways to invest in, trade, or use crypto are reliable and safe. So just over 10,000 people over the age of 18 were surveyed, and many of them felt that their investments would have not performed as well as they would have liked them to. 
Adam, I'm tossing this over to you. I'm always very skeptical about surveys, especially when we talk about, you know, people who have heard about crypto. Like, what does that actually mean? Did they just hear about crypto in the news? Did they read that news story? And then did they sour on it? I don't know. But what did you make of some of the data that came out in this report? As I've said multiple times so far in this episode, and many others, we live in a time of monetary madness. So I think it's totally understandable and forgivable for people to, you know, for people to not trust new things. I think, again, like new things, a lot of times are not necessarily good things. And even when they are good things, a lot of times it just takes us time to get kind of comfortable with them and used to them. Cryptocurrency is still largely a technology that is being used for speculation rather than for sort of the actual tangible things that we think that it will make it valuable in the future. So again, it makes sense there. And then, of course, after the last year or two, again, with the bull market mania and the crashes and stuff like that, like it makes total sense. So that's one side of it. I think the other side of it is that the the messaging um, definitely, again, like people look to various sort of authorities for helping them understand complicated issues that they don't really want to take the time to build expertise on their own. And cryptocurrency is nothing if not a complex issue that requires understandings of money and kind of everything else. So again, like as we were talking about earlier, the sort of like non-standard standards that we've been seeing coming out of Washington, the increasing politicalization we've been seeing coming out of Washington around this, all of these things are warning signs for normal people looking at these types of technologies. And so I think it's very understandable. And I think that the U.S. intentionally does not assist with that and is intentionally trying to play up as much of this as possible. What do you think, Danny? Yeah, I'd actually go a step deeper, right? So this is a research about the people's views on cryptocurrency, which is a very broad term that I'm going to guess here just stands as a stand-in for everything to do with crypto from Bitcoin to FTX to NFTs and everything. What I'm thinking more about is whether people should have trust and reliability in DeFi. And that, that's a step well beyond what the researchers are looking for here. But I would say that people don't like they, there's a good reason why people wouldn't have uh, confidence in the state of DeFi, because we see so often things getting hacked, smart contracts getting exploited, all these nitty gritty details of the code working as intended in a way that the, the author, the, the coder did not intend. So. What we really need to think about here is not just what's happening at, at the Washington level, although that is critical for sure, because if you don't have people trusting in cryptocurrency with a big C, there's no reason whatsoever they'd even think about DeFi. But let's say they get past that initial hesitations, they need to look upon DeFi and actually see things that work. So I don't know how we accomplish that. It is clear to me that something's got to be done about the state of DeFi just to make sure that it actually is reliable and secure and that you won't lose your money if you put it in some sort of pool. As you were talking there, I was thinking, how wonderful would it be if we could sit people down first, explain the state of the economy in the way that Adam does so nicely on the show and like so a five-year-old can understand. Explain what's going on in the governments and then explain the concept of DeFi and then do a survey as to like how people feel about this entire sector. I think that we would get some very different results, but it would take a lot of work. When I was reading this, I thought about the last bull cycle. I thought about all of the Super Bowl ads. I thought about the sports sponsorships, all of those mainstream sponsorships. I think there was a Grammy sponsorship. And so it made sense to me that people would probably have dabbled in crypto for the very first time, bought in when the price was really, really high. And now when they're being surveyed, they're saying, you know what, I didn't actually make as much money as I thought I would. And for me, it just shows that, you know, people were buying into the FOMO as everyone expected them to do, because tens of millions would not have been spent on that type of advertising if they didn't expect people to buy in. 
And so it wasn't surprising for me to see this. And I hope that these people aren't discouraged on the industry at large. I think we all tell ourselves stories about mass adoption. And I think that that's true of companies that are working in the space too. Again, like the vision of uh, of these technologies is to not just be speculative tools, you know, that people use to speculate, make money on, but actually they're quite useful. So I, I take a little bit of a lighter touch there. I think that, uh, you know, I, I think to Danny's point, when we're trying to figure out what should we be talking to people about and what is actually ready for people now? You know, you mentioned that you think that DeFi education would be helpful. I actually think it would be terrifying. I've been in the space for a long time and there are a lot of risks that exist here. And those risks are a lot of times very difficult to quantify and they're not necessarily ones that everyone needs to take. So I don't really feel like we need to be pushing DeFi to be ready for normal people. I think we need to be pushing DeFi to be as ridiculous as it can possibly be so that it discovers as many bad things as possible. And that by the time we get to the consumer use case, that those things aren't there anymore, right? We're not like practicing creating the next new casino, which is where a lot of the DeFi stuff kind of originally started. We are instead, we figured out how to create you know, a replacement for all casinos that completely removes many of the problems that are there and also doesn't have the smart contract risk that is implicit with a lot of the stuff that's out there. So I don't think, I, personally, I'll be happy if people just understand the basic concept of money and literally nothing about <laughs> cryptocurrency uh, before I'm going to ask people to try and understand the intricacies of DeFi and why they should trust it when I don't trust it. <laughs> okay, let me clarify. When I said that people should know about it, it wasn't that I think everyone should just like ape into DeFi and then get caught up in a hack and lose their money. I think they should be aware that there are solutions or alternatives being worked on as part of this umbrella of like, you know, when they talk about crypto and Bitcoin, it's not just price go up, price go down, but like solutions are, are being thought about to some of these systemic issues. Uh, we've got say. one of those, those signs outside the nuclear facility, like days passed since last accident. Yeah, right exactly. now we're at, I think, one. <laughs> there was yeah. some Ave urine thing yesterday. So we're at one. We're, we'll see what happens today. I think we've got one more story today. Yes, we do. We've got the Solana phone. More specifically, I've got the Solana phone, the new Saga device, <laughs> an Android device from Solana Mobile. This is supposed to be the way to put cryptocurrency in people's pockets. Uh, a roadmap to mass adoption, a way to make crypto easier to use on the go. All these things are really important to the future of cryptocurrency and important to the future of Solana, given that it's created a cell phone to let you do it. So uh, I thought that the, a great way just to bring us all in here was to do something that I've only just done once before. I'm going to try to mint an NFT using this thing live on air. So we're oh going to see what happens. So okay. first off, just me, let me walk you through it. All right. So Here's my device. It's got Solana engraving there. Mm -hmm. There it is. Yep. Uh, but it, once you once you open it up, you set it up and you download. You create a wallet. There's some airdropped uh, funds for easy use. Uh, download all these different uh, applications from the DApp store, and one of them is called Minty Fresh, which is a way that you can uh, take a photo and make an NFT really easily. So I've opened the app. It looks like a little mint leaf. And I'm going to just take a photo of us right now on the air in our back room. All right. So the <laughs> NFT title will be the hash. The hash. I'll just say description. I don't know. Here's, here's, the, here's what we've got so far. This is what it looks like behind the scenes, everyone. Um, mint. All right. Now it opens up my phantom wallet, asks me to authenticate it. I'm approving the transaction. I have to confirm with a fingerprint now for a second time. Now I have to confirm use of fingerprint. All right, now uploading file. 
Adding details. Okay, now let's see. This is now the fourth time I have to authenticate with my fingerprint. Now I'm approving it. Okay. Now fifth time of fingerprint. Now second time of approving <laughs> fingerprint use. Waiting for confirmations. You've minted an NFT. Okay, so here we are. I've now minted NFT, but the experience wasn't exactly seamless, right? So it asked me to confirm my fingerprint use six different times. And the reason why it was doing that was confirming that it, it had the permission to use the seed phrase that is stored in the secure element of the phone, which is really what mm. makes the Solana phone different from other phones. It acts as an actual hardware wallet because it keeps the private keys on the device in the secure element where other credentialed information is on other f- cell phones. But to access it, it has to repeatedly ask you. So it's not exactly a seamless experience. I had to very repeatedly do it over and over again. And the first time I tried it, I actually failed. But let's see if it actually resulted in an NFT. So I'm opening up my phantom wallet now. All right. I'm authenticating with my fingerprint once again. And I don't know if I got my NFT. Katie, I have a oh, question. No. <laughs> there, well, actually, I think it's there. Yep. It looks like it's there. Yeah, it looks there, like it's there. there. It is. Yeah, the there you thing. go. But, but I Danny, actually didn't get to my phone. I, I, a different one called Tesser, which was a misspelling of test, got to my cell phone. Uh, so <laughs> it's a work in progress, okay? Like the user experience is not great. Uh, it's a little clunky, but it has big potential. I don't know if I wanted to take a, make an NFT on the go. Well, I, I just did it. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, and you did it pretty quickly. Despite the kind of janky user experience, I'm impressed that you were able to take a photo of us and make it an NFT in just like 2.5 minutes. But Adam, I think you have a question for Danny. I think we are out of time, though, so we will have to no, get to that. No, we, another... we got an extension to talk oh. about this. Oh, well, great. We well, then I, I am curious. Adam's so, like, I'm over this phone. Get me off the air. Danny, like... no, I'm curious. Like, I, So I get the secure hardware element, although I have more questions about that than I think we have time for here. But just broadly speaking, do you think that the form factor, like, is it about just having that secure form factor in a phone? Is it about the app store where you can download dApps? I mean, like, what's the reason why you think it's really valuable to the extent that you think that to have this in a phone form factor rather than something else? Well, here, think of it this way. Let's let's, just divorce it from Solana and all that. If one wants crypto to be big, then it has to be accessible. And for it to be accessible, then it needs to be accessible in the way that everyone can access it. That doesn't mean that everyone walks around with a ledger. It means that they have the crypto on the computer that they already have in their pocket. So the idea of utilizing the cell phone's architecture to actually act as a storage facility for private keys, that's trending in the direction that crypto is going to have to go. This is the first iteration out of Solana that attempts to do that. And it's clear to me that it's not like the experience of accessing those keys is not yet ironed out. Like it takes a while to get this right. But it's an attempt. And, you know, I have this weird looking NFT now that costs me like 50 cents to make of you, of you beautiful people on air. So see if I can get, I can't blow it up for, for everyone to see, but here it is once again. And I will say, uh oh, there we go. If you want to hear my thoughts more in depth on the Solana phone and all things, you should definitely check out Carpe Consensus, my podcast, where I love to go on rants much more colorful than this one. All right, Danny, this is a yes or no question. Is it worth $1,000? Um, I am an iPhone user, and this is an Android device, and therefore, by default, no, it is not. All right. Uh, but that's simply okay. because I'm an iPhone user. <laughs> All right. Well, I look forward to seeing the phone at Consensus. You can check out the hash at Consensus. We have our very own stage, so come check us out. That's the hash for Friday. I'm Jen Sinassi, Adam B. Levine, Danny Nelson. Wonderful seeing you. Have a great weekend. 
You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.